The Mourner's Bench is brought to you by Theolab, a media collective committed to creating a more candid dialogue about spirituality, culture, and the world. What's going on, good people? I'm Brandon Thomas, and on today's episode of The Mourner's Bench, we have the rest of my interview with Carlos Cardoza Orlandi. If you missed the first half, go on back one episode and take a listen. Just one note, our interview was conducted the week before the election, so you won't get any hot takes or perspectives on what's been happening over the last few days. However, we hope it'll be a welcome interruption to the political mumbo-jumbo that's been on every screen, podcast, and radio station over the last few weeks. Listen in now for the rest of our conversation about honoring the dead, Dia de los Muertos, and All Saints Day. You know what time it is. Let's get on into it. Have you seen the movie Coco? Yes, I have. I love that movie. Coco. It's it's a beautiful movie, isn't it? It is. It it is. Now, what would you say, here I'm going into my teaching. (laughs) What would you say is the difference between when we think about All Saints Day and the memory, bringing to memory Mm -hmm. our dead, Mm -hmm. and the movie Coco? And the movie Coco is that actually in El Dia de los Muertos, the dead come to us. Hmm. They come to us. Uh They dance with us. They eat with us. They interact with us. What 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 I think is Christian about El Dia de los Muertos is the memory piece. Okay. But those who have died in Christ do not come and eat with us. Do not come and dance with us. Now, they may be joyful with us. Uh (laughs) They may pray for us. They have action. They have agency. But it's not the agency of the daily life experience. Okay. It's the agency of being in the depository of God. Yeah. So they are surrounded by grace Mm. that actually limits their actions. Mm -hmm. So you use the term, um, so hyper Protestantism, tell me more about like, is that just like the, so, I mean, in some ways, what I hear you saying is um, in Protestantism, what we have is a pigeon of, of, of the broader tradition. And we, um, have learned to sort of cherry pick or uh, select those aspects of the tradition yeah. that make sure we are distinct from Catholic. But in the process, right. what we've developed is a, um, a something that's not comprehensive, something that's not full, and we um, lack access to parts of our tradition that could actually be sources of joy for us in this moment. Does does hyper Protestantism yes, take that further, like to the extreme? I, I think it does. What's an example? Uh, I, th- I, I, I think it does. Theologically, it okay. does. Okay. Although, although what is an irony or a paradox is in the live religion of people, mm. you still ha- you still see the connections with the dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 the connection with the dead doesn't happen doesn't happen in the space of the church. Yeah. 
It happens in other spaces. Yeah. And we have Christianized those spaces, but not in the church. We don't mm. we don't talk about that in the church. So so for instance, a there's no problem with me dreaming about my mother. Mm -hmm. uh, when I wake up and I tell my wife, I had a beautiful dream with mom today. Mm. And she, you know, when I was telling her about this and that, and 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 it just brought I, I woke up, I woke up happy because I saw mom and my mom has been dead for a number of years now. Now, would I, in a worship service in my hyper Protestant congregation, would I share that as a testimony of God giving me the sweet joy of bringing to memory the Christian life of my mother? We wouldn't say that in church, right? Because the possibility is that the pastor will tell us, be careful there, you know, or or <laughs> or or the pastor might tell us, um, remember that the devil also uh, dresses in himself or herself or itself like an angel. Oh yeah, you have this immediate reaction to that which is a mystery. Hyper hyper Protestantism is the the ongoing, never ending attempt to make mystery totally explainable hmm. and for that matter we have hyper catholicism as well it's always this enlightenment modernist attempt to provide to eliminate the enchantment of the world that's the way i would call it i, I loved hearing the story of your wife and how it took her to you know being 50 plus years old to experience all saints day for the first time and as a legitimate protestant Christian expression, because believe me, she always rem she always remembered her father, and she always remembers her grandma, right, right, and right. her grandfather. And in Puerto Rico, she will have these stories and conversations. We all come to the funeral home, and we have all these stories about our dead and how beautiful our dead were, and how, and how oh, and I had this dream, and oh, sometimes I wonder, sometimes I feel that even my grandmother accompanies me. And as soon as we enter the worship service, yeah, the hyper Protestant worship service. As soon as we enter that, we don't talk about that anymore. We don't talk about that, Brandon, anymore. Yep. So when she finds herself in the Methodist environment of comfortable evangelical Methodist environment, remembering the dead, she asked me, "Yeah, isn't, isn't that Catholic? <laughs> <laughs> and my answer was yes. And then my next answer is, it is not only Catholic, it is Orthodox. Yeah. It is Pentecostal. Yep. It is Protestant. Therefore, it is Christian. It is Christian. Absolutely. Now, how do we relate to the dead? That's another. That then begins to create boundaries because in Christianity we relate to the saint. We relate to the saints. In the Catholic tradition, they can they can intercede for us. In the Protestantism, we don't we don't think that they intercede for us, but we still relate to them. In Afro-Caribbean religions. They, they tell us what could happen in the future. They give us insight of what was going on in our, in, 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 in our immediate reality. Yeah. Well, we, we as Christians don't necessarily believe. Well, at least I don't believe that. Right. As a Christian, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't call on my mother to help me make decisions about my finances. Mm -hmm. See what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But in the Afro-Caribbean religions, you, you do. Yeah. You do seek guidance from the ancestors.
I've had All Saints Day experiences in seminary. Like there was a time where we had a beautiful service and um, that was my first experience of All Saints Day proper. But post-seminary, I haven't necessarily had that experience. What I have come into contact with, though, um, are Black Lives Matter activists and organizers, I think many of whom, at least the ones that I've encountered, are formed or shaped by the Christian tradition, but have chosen not to be um, affiliated with the Christian church proper now. But as we're, you know, as we call the names of all the black folks who've been murdered by the police, oftentimes what I've noticed is there's an intentionality around invoking the names of ancestors and calling the names of those who've gone before us to come and partner with us, sojourn with us in the struggle for justice. And so it's interesting to think about this interplay between ancestral veneration in the public or what some might call the secular sphere, and then the ways in which we do or don't do that in Christian spaces, depending on whether or not they're Protestant or Catholic. Yes. yes. Oh, you're absolutely right. And and that's, that's in, in a way, it is a problem. Because if the Christian tradition has that possibility— <laughs> It, if it has that space, if it's if if remembering our debt and knowing that our ancestors have preceded us and that they have died in Christ, mm-hmm. is the tradition includes them as the body of Christ. Why would we then separate them? And it's it's so sad that it's the secular world that has to remind us of that, which which I'll I'll be I I hope I'm not being here offensive, Brandon. Which in a way is a reminder. God, let's put it this way: God is reminding the Christian community that sometimes the secular intuitions about who are the dead are important to. Re, to rethink about them, hmm. to see how do we recover our own Christian heritage and rethink the way we think about our dead in our Christian communities. Mm-hmm. So in other words, the secular world becomes the witness. What that brought to mind was thinking about like James Cone, who um, talked a lot about, you know, what's like jazz music and gospel music and the relationship between those things and how there may not be a clear divide between that which we want to call secular and that which we want to call sacred. But how do we live into this vision of the earth being the Lord's and the fullness thereof? And even those things that are secular uh, being used by God. Uh, to reveal something to us, to bear witness to a deeper sort of truth. So I, I love that. Not offensive to me at all. You know, I would see my, my, my grandmother, I would see her, you know, she was lighting up this candle certain days of the week. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, why is she doing that? My father told me, never ask her, never mm-hmm. ask, because my father knew the answer, mm-hmm. but he wanted me to be a more pure evangelical. Ah. You see what I mean? Yeah. But but in a way, my father was totally well-intentioned in protecting my faith, like I told you, the kitchen. Yep. But by doing that, he was making a decision about the way I should think the world is configured. Yeah. And in the configuration of my world, for many years, the dead don't have anything to do with me. Yeah, And it's not until I began to experience those, those turning points that I began to fully 
discover the role the role of the the role of the dead yeah in the christian tradition right but it it didn't come from the christian it came from my studies with afro caribbean religions and that i said well holy mother of god is this is happening here what about our christian tradition and then my roman catholic professor told me this is the saints this is the theology of inter in intercession theology yeah and then i began to see this goes back to antiquity mm -hmm. this you know we're not talking here about 16th century on because you know that's the way we protestants sometimes think right christianity began with luther and all of his dudes and dudettes around him right and that's what christian oh that's that's why christianity is a world religion i remember that i i gave a presentation about um the relationship between evangelical charismatics in the caribbean and afro-caribbean religions mm -hmm. and the whole question of the dead And after I gave it, I remember I had this student, Anglo-American student, who came to me and asked me, you have given me the opportunity to think again about my aunt, who I love so dearly, and she died of cancer. Hmm. It's very sad to have a student tell you that she doesn't have permission within her tradition to explore the questions about those who have died in Christ. Isn't that sad? It is. There's no there's no Bible study for that. There's no Sunday school for that. And suddenly we have to learn how to mourn outside of the church. Yeah. It's almost sinful to ask for our people not to allow themselves not to allow them to come and talk about their dead in the in the beautiful environment of the one who has died for life and the one who is living so that we can live. Yeah. It, it's a reduction of the, of the depth of the Christian religion. Yeah. And then, and what do people do? Well, they go to other religions to find it. Absolutely. Brandon, yep. they do. When you look at the state of the global church right now, what makes you hopeful on the flip side of that? What frustrates you or what do you view as challenging um, to the life and the beauty of the church? I don't have much hope when I look at the current situation of churches in the United States. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> yeah, I don't have much hope about that. Yeah. Um, I do have hope with the churches in the global south even though sometimes their their literal understanding of the tradition becomes a danger hmm. because people want people associate too much faith with miracles and miracles with the supernatural in ways that is not healthy yeah and that is is it is unhealthy and it is and it challenges for instance the current situation of COVID, you know, social mm -hmm. distancing. So mm -hmm. if I'm a Christian, nothing of that will touch me, you know. Right. But let me tell you specifically hope. First of all, I see hope in the millions of Christian women who are the practitioners of the faith. Hmm. Christianity is not a religion of males. The current 
the current the the current image of a of the of a Christian in the world is a poor traditional women of color. And when I see poor traditional women of color engaged in interreligious dialogue for the well-being of families, for the well-beings of community, for the well-beings of the environment, that brings me hope. Um, the other piece that brings me hope is the never-ending resilience that I see in Christian communities that take seriously this mystery element, mm. this mystery dimension. And therefore, because they take very seriously this mystery dimension, they have no fear, Brandon. They have no fear. And it is contagious. Yeah. It's even more contagious than COVID-19. <laughs> which is which is hope. It is. Because, because I, I just hope that there is no vaccine for that kind of hope. Yeah. And and that is amazing. It is. The this they 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 see what in social Marxist Christian terms they see the utopia that many of us have lost. Yeah. Because we are just so unidirectional and unidimensional. It's this world only. And they can see beyond that. They can see beyond that. Those were those would be two things I would mention about hope and and ironically just to add to that my undergraduate course right now is in one of my undergraduate courses in christian mission mm -hmm. i've got 23 students out of which 19 are females i would rather put in the hands of those young women mm -hmm. the life of the church will be better off oh yeah oh yeah I, I, I was listening to the word traditional um, and hearing it differently than I believe you intended it. Cause it, cause when you, when I think about traditional, that has a lot of baggage on it sometimes, but, yeah, yeah. but, to, but this notion that these women are also engaged in interreligious dialogue and interreligious yep. partnership. It's, it's traditional in terms of um, they follow, they follow patterns of life that have sustained them. And they're not willing just to give it up for the sake of new ideologies or new philosophies. Okay. Yeah. They'll 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 work hard to bring them together. Yeah. So African uh, African feminist theologians will tell you, like Mercy Amba Oduyoye says, we are unable to talk about the liberation of women until we sit down and talk about the liberation of men. Hmm. Yeah. And we need to come together. That's that's Hermes Yamba's generation over against when, what she was saying. Well, if you want to talk about feminism exclusively and it's only about women, then we, we can handle the other piece. Because right. in Africa, women are very much related to men. Yep. Even though it is, even in contexts where heteronormativity is not there, but they'll still, they'll still, you have to work with men. Yeah. So last question, if someone were listening to this episode, standing in um, the line 
waiting to cast their ballot or if someone is early voted and is still looking for a source of inspiration on election day, what word would you offer them? Um, and I would say, what word would you offer to Christians who are standing in line? But then also, yeah. what word would you offer to others in a more expansive sense? Brandon, that's a hard question. You should have sent me that question. I'm sorry. I just a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I could think about this. I am concerned about what's happening in the United States. I am really concerned. Yeah. Um, and um, the impact, it could be very serious. My youngest son has constantly reminded me I don't think this, he tells me, I don't think this will turn into a civil war, but it can, it can get ugly. Yeah. It can get really ugly. So let me put it this way. I think I would say two things, Brandon. The first thing I would say is that after either, after we cast our vote, if we think that by casting our vote, we have done what we have to do, we are deeply deeply mistaken mm -hmm. because given the, the division um doesn't matter in my opinion doesn't matter who wins it's gonna be hell yeah it's, it's gonna be hell yeah and so so voting in a way is what we do in the united states in order to put to put some agency to what we want for the future, mm -hmm. but the immediate future will require from us a commitment to justice and peace. Yeah. Um, a, we are, we need to learn how to restrain ourselves from immediate uncivil responses. Hmm that ultimately destroy, or not destroy, but they certainly uh, uh, create, add tensions. Yeah. And and could create a lot of, of damage for, yeah. for our communities. Um, I'll give you, I voted early. And um, this, Waco is a, is a small town. And it's a Republican town. Mm -hmm. And there was this young man who had a hat with um, Make America Great Again. And I noticed the kindness with which the person in charge of the electoral office there came to this young man and said to him, would you please, It was he did it so kindly, would you please either remove your hat while you're doing the line, or you need to be, be after you need to go beyond that that sign there, because that's the that's the place where you can actually self-identify for your voting. But once you enter this place, by law we don't do that. And I was amazed by the kindness with which this gentleman spoke to this young man. Maybe he didn't understood it, mm -hmm. but in a in an environment where the reactions are to scream, to fight, to react violently. People are afraid of taking a position. And yet the kindness with which this man interacted with this younger man 
who clearly wanted to push certain you know bottoms the kindness disarmed him and this young man took his hat off put it away and he was very quiet and i thought that was a and again we're talking about this is a republican context and i would imagine that the person who did it could have been from the republican party but it was upholding law but it's a law that has been created in order to create conditions for civility absolutely and i think it's important that we as 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 just um citizens we regain civility now from a christian perspective i want to say we are called we are called to do justice mm-hmm. and 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 we are called more than justice we are called to be critical yeah um and of our own faith mm-hmm. because to assume to assume that because any pol- politician has a bible any <laughs> has a bible and stands in front of a church or or is a, or is willing to accept a prayer or is willing to to even talk about his years of being a catholic it's like my my mother-in-law oh my mother-in-law used to say oh but 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 he's a christian well he might be a christian puerto rico he might be a christian but he's a corrupt dude who has stolen millions of dollars absolutely so he should be in jail <laughs> and maybe he needs a chaplain to help him <laughs> be redeemed you understand what i mean i understand in that sense christianity stands very differently yeah very different absolutely all right folks that's it for this week's second pour thank you once again for listening got questions comments feedback or do you have something you want us to discuss on an episode in the future just send us an email at what's up at the theolab.com we'd love to hear from you we'll be back next tuesday with what we're calling a human or pastoral response to the election Listen in as we reflect further on the future of the country, the church, and the state of race relations, and what it means to live in a country that is so clearly divided. Thank you, Carlos, for being our guest and for such a great discussion. We hope to have you back around in the future. And shout out to my friend, my sibling, and my one of my all-around favorite humans, Amoria Shea, for our TMB theme song. That's a wrap. Stay safe out there. We'll see y'all next week. Shut up.